The Oscars are here, um, that annual time of year where we celebrate films, although not really, it's kind of politicised and it doesn't really mean that much, but it's fun anyway. Um, we're going to be talking about some films that I like, some films that I don't, my Oscar picks, um, and then of course another gold, silver, bronze. But before that, let's listen to some 8-bit music, shall we? Hi. Hi. Um, Daniel Swan here. How are you? How are you? How are you? You look nice. You look well. You look rested. Um, I hope you um, are having a good day. I hope you're enjoying um, your life so far. I mean, that's why limit it to just a day. Um, it's Oscars season, um, very much so. We're, we're in the thick of it now. Um, I'm recording this on Tuesday 23rd of February um, 2016, um, and the Oscars are coming up on the this Sunday, isn't it? Yeah, the 28th, um, from Hollywood somewhere, I'd imagine. Um, and as it is Oscar season, I thought I'd, you know, make this kind of Oscars themed. Um, and also partly because, um, I live in Seattle, the the big, um, cinema in Seattle, Seattle Cinerama, um, is doing their eight days of Oscars, which was a very good idea. Um, on their part, I think, um, re-showing some of the films that have been uh, nominated in case you missed them first time round, uh, as I did for, for the vast majority of them, and gives you a bit of an opportunity to, to catch up. Um, so I went to see a couple of them um, at the weekend, um, as I uh, have probably mentioned in the intro, such as the, the wonder of editing. I haven't even filmed the intro that you just listened to yet. Mind friggin' blown. Um yeah, so uh, I went to see a couple of films at the weekend that I want to talk about. Um, first one is one that I, I missed first time round. I was very glad that I got the opportunity to, to see it again. Uh, it's The Martian. Um, it's the, the Wiggly Scott and uh, Matt Damon, uh, The Martian. Although it's it's underselling it, I think. I, I didn't realise when I, um, from the previews and stuff, uh, so I don't even really think I saw that many trailers for it, which is unusual for me because I'm a, I'm a trailer hound. Um but I don't think I saw that many trailers, if any, um, for The Martian. So I was, you know, knew it was Ridley Scott, knew it was Matt Damon. But beyond that, um, it was a little bit in the dark. And it's uh, always got an ensemble cast on it. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, it's got everybody. I think most people um, are in The Martian, um, which is good. It's got, um, who else has it got? Jeff Daniels, Chiwetel Ejiofor, um, Kristen Wiig. Popping up, SNL alum Kristen Wiig popping up in a fairly um, prominent role, which is a bit of a surprise. But well done her, well done her. I thought thought she did well, even though it was a nothing role, really. Let's be honest with ourselves; it's, it's a nothing role. Um, uh, and then the the crew, um, Matt Damon's crew that abandoned him um, on Mars, uh, is the Michael Pena. Who's very good, very funny in Ant Man, very good in a lot of things that he does. Jessica Chastain, um, uh, what's her name? Mara, Kate Mara, um, and then the other guy that who I couldn't recognise for a while, and then I realised that I recognised him from um, Headhunters. Um, he was in uh, Headhunters, the the Joe Nesbo adaptation, which I think is a Swedish film. 
Norwegian? I don't know, Scandinavian film, uh, which is very good. Um, I recognised him from that, and he was very good in it as well. There was, was there someone else? I've got the feeling that there was someone else as well, so I'm going to just kind of click into that, just have a little have a little check-up. This is probably something that I should have checked um, beforehand, uh, but in fact didn't, um, because I am... Uh, poorly organised um, in a lot of aspects of my life. The Martian, Matt Damon, Jessica Chastain. Yes, I am DB. We've already seen that. Full cast and crew. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. Sean Bean's in it. Sebastian Stan, of course. Bloody um, bloody Bucky Barnes uh, was in it. Uh, and he was all right as well. Um, so yeah, really, really good ensemble cast. Uh, there was an unprecedented uh, occurrence for this film though. Um, which was a bit uh, shocking in that I was late for it. I don't think I've ever been late for a film um, in my life, but I was late for this um, for no real reason either. Um, the screening was at half 12. It's on a Saturday morning. Um, no real reason for it, just myself and my wife uh, being lazy shits, um, as it's fun to be uh, at the weekend, I think. Very fun to be um, a lazy shit. Um, and so I got into it in that it's, it's always a thing, because I, I like writing a, you know, like writing scripts. And one of the big things that you th- is is when you're kind of I don't know I, I hate to say writer because I'm not a writer I'm a, you know I'm as right I'm a writer in the sense that anybody who writes anything ever you know for themselves is a writer. Um, but when you kind of read books about it and you kind of study it a little bit and then you go and watch a film you start noticing certain things you watch films in a slightly different way. And what I loved about The Martian straight off the bat the scene um, where they're on the planet. And everything's, you know, going all right before the storm. Um, just an amazing, amazingly efficient way of setting up a crew and their repartee. I mean, no characters were necessarily particularly um, set up as being individuals or different from, from the others. Maybe Jessica Chastain, maybe Kate Mara. Um, because they weren't kind of engaging with it as much. But the other ones set up as like we get straight away that they know each other, they like each other. Um, it's a very you know close bond with the team for the simple reason they're all taking the piss out of each other. And that's such a simple thing. It's a classic man thing, I think. Um, groups of male friends, you know, that's how you know that, that a group of lads have been friends for a while is that they're just ripping the piss out of each other constantly. Um, it's, it's how, I'm, you know, sometimes when I think, you know, am I as close with my friends as I think I am? Um, and then one of them calls me a cunt, and I think, yeah, 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 they really like me, they really like me. Um, although it doesn't say a lot that, as I recall, the two people who weren't as into it were the two women, because women are such fucking wastes of space, aren't they? Aren't they miserable? Um, but yeah, I just straight in with these with this crew of people taking the mick out of each other, and straight away it's just like, yep, yeah, I get on board with this. They're they're all great friends. Um, I think that's. Yeah, a really simple thing and something that not oddly refreshing, considering I think how prevalent it is um, in the world. Um, strange that, that that seems so weird and so, ooh, like, ooh, they're taking the mech out of each other, um, when it really shouldn't be. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed that. Straight gets you straight into it, and it, it all happened kind of quite economically. It's uh, People who know me and people that, that have maybe listened to this podcast before or have kind of, you know, 
listen to any review of a, of a film that I've done know that I'm not a huge fan of long films. Um, it's something that is, is often a, a criticism that I have of films, uh, especially modern films, I feel like, that they're just just too long. One of the most egregious examples um, was one that was on TV the other day, and I watched, I don't know, about 10 minutes of it with the sound down. I mean, it wasn't with the sound down, but the wife was in the shower, um, and the door was open, so I couldn't really hear anything at the best of times anyway. Um, so I was watching it soundlessly. Um, Transformers 3, Dark of the Moon, just... I don't want, I don't want to derail this too much into talking about Transformers, but I'm I'm a big geek, big um, big fan of the Transformers. Uh, I think as a comic fan, the first comic I ever owned, or the first comic I ever remember uh, reading, uh, was a Transformers comic. The first one, at least, I ever remember being really affected by. Um, even as a young chap, I was like, ooh, it took me back. It was a, a section. I don't know. There was a weird section in Transformers history where they had these smaller guys that transformed into their engines so the Autobots had these smaller little engine guys and they'd transform and they'd go inside uh, the Autobots and I, I don't know that doesn't really matter as part of the story but um, they're under the water they, they were fighting under the sea for some reason I don't know um, and then one of the little guys little engine guys looks at his little air monitor and it says he's got three minutes of air left and I distinctly remember he said, ah, three minutes of air left. Oh, well, who wants to live forever? And I remember as a, like an eight-year-old boy going, fucking everyone, surely. Are we going to die? What the fuck? Um, probably not as vociferous with the swearing. But um, yeah, and I thought, oof, that really, that, oof, that, that got me uh, as a young man. That, that um, possibly um, was a major influence on my uh, crippling fear of death today. Um, so Transformers, big fan of it. And I'm a big fan of it because it's big robots beating the shit out of each other. Like, what's not to love? But then the Transformers films, with a combined time of almost Lord of the Ringsian kind of proportion, just complicate things so much. It's just, it doesn't need to be this long. Just have some cars t- transform into robots. Have a plane transform into a different robot that looks immediately more evil. Have colour schemes so you can tell who the fuck is who. And then have them beat each other up. It's a simple formula, Michael Bay. And yet he just insists... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm derailing it now. But that's a big example of a film that is just chronically, chronically longer than it needs to be. Um, Just doesn't need to be that long. Um, It just plays it out and plays it out and stretch. Oh, but then we need to go to this place to find the key for the door that unwakes the the, the guy and the thing. And then he comes with the sword, but it's the bird thing. And I don't care. Do not care. Bored. Let me get off. Um, Yeah. And and this film, whilst it whilst I did very much enjoy it, it gets four things out of five things for me. I don't know whether I should have left that to the end, whether that's spoiling it a little bit. Oh, fuck it, who cares? Um, I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was really good. Um, a little bit long, maybe. That's that's possibly my only um, criticism. A little bit long. There was a section towards the end. I'm not going to do too many spoilers for this. I think cause, you know you might not have seen it, and if you haven't, I highly recommend going to see it. Um, or you know, get on Netflix when it comes out. Get on DVD. Um, there was a bit kind of towards the end when the second act kind of pushes through to the third act. There was a lot of time spent on Earth 
with lots of complications as as they are want to do in Hollywood films and it just I don't know I think it's just a little bit longer than it needed to be um, but really really good a very simple story and I think again getting back to the Transformers thing that's something that, that let those films down hideously and he- lets a lot of films down is that it's just complicating things far too much it's like well there's all these you know this stage and this stage and we split up into three teams and there's three consecutive narratives going along and they're all just just think oh, it doesn't matter just just keep it simple just give me a story just give me a, a protagonist that I care about give them complications give them a very clear objective um, and you know, make it enjoyable going forward. Structure it well, um, and everybody's happy. And I think this did that um, for the most part. Like I said, a little bit long, maybe. Um, there's a couple of sections that are a little bit, um, yeah, maybe longer than they needed to be. Um, but I, th- I thought it was good. I thought the look of it was really good. The look of it was, you know, as myself, a, you know, a layman when it comes to um, actual space travel. Um, I could watch that film and look at everything in it and go yeah I you know I can imagine that would be the case that would be an actual thing that would happen um from reading the trivia um as of course I have to do um on IMDb even though some of it is complete toss like the the worst uh, example on here is something that happens all the time all the time um in uh on IMDb trivia um is uh, where they say, oh, well, this is somebody was in a, a thing. Um, and, you know, it was a, you know, it was a, a different film, but it had the same name as this. I mean, isn't that, isn't that exciting? It's like, no, no, that's not exciting at all. This is a, a waste of everybody's time. Absolutely everybody's time. Um, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Oh, fucking hell. I hate these so much. This is the second movie containing the word Martian in the title and starring Jeff Daniels after my favourite Martian from 1999. Who cares? Who cares? And here's another one. Jeff Daniels' breakthrough role was in terms of endearment where he also played a Houstonian and Jack Nicholson played an astronaut. Does that matter? That doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter at all. It's, it's a waste of everybody's time. And you, they, they've done this thing now. Um, on IMDb, oh, I don't care. Um, where you can say whether something's interesting to you, but but that seems to have absolutely no bearing on anything. Like the the terms of endearment thing, twenty people out of one hundred and twenty four found this interesting. I mean, first off, you twenty people can go and jump off a bridge because you you don't deserve to, or at least not be members of the IMDb. Because you have to like log in and do the whole thing. Why are you clicking? That's interesting. Secondly, 104 people specifically wanted to share that they did not care about this, that this was not interesting. The, the, my favourite Martian one, 36 out of 206 found this interesting. My point is, why, was that, why does that not affect the... Why does that not affect whether it's being shown? Like if it's the vast majority of people don't care about it, take it off the site, surely. I mean, that's just logic. That's just logic. Here's another one. Kate Mara's sister. This is 32 out of 153. Kate Mara's sister, Rooney Mara, appeared in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo in 2011 for David Fincher, director of Alien 3. Numi Rapace, or Apache Rapace? Hang on, I'm going to go with Rapace. Who played her role in the original The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo in 2009, also appeared in Ridley Scott's Alien prequel, Prometheus. Two entirely separate pieces of information. 
doesn't matter at all. Awful, awful. Um, yeah, but reading the rest of the IMDb trivia, oh, I'm getting sidetracked all over the place. Um, the guy who wrote the book that this was based on, uh, what's his name, David Weir? David Weir, let's say David Weir. Um, complete geek, complete geek. He, he worked out um, some kind of computer program to work out exactly when would be the best time for this particular mission to launch and then what time it would arrive back on Earth down to the minute down to the minute. Now, that doesn't matter for anybody's enjoyment of the story. He's doing that just for himself. Um, but I quite like that. I quite like that. That's passion. Um, whether it's passion that's directed, in your opinion, in a, in, a, you know, in a direction that it should be, or whether it's just, a, again, a waste of everybody's precious, precious time. Um, I'll leave it up to you. But um, yeah, a very geeky um, writer creating a very simple story um, so it's kind of like Castaway. It's somebody being let. It's it's you know um, a triumph of the human spirit. And what I liked about it, one of the things that I liked about it the most is that it was a seemed to be a real celebration of intelligence. Um, it was Matt Damon being very intelligent. A lot of people on Earth being very intelligent and working out a way to to solve a seemingly unsolvable puzzle. Um, it was, um, yeah, just a, a lot of people saying, well, what I can do is this. Like, the way that he makes water, I have absolutely no no idea. No idea. Couldn't tell you. Couldn't even hazard any kind of a guess as to how he does that. Um, but he explains it all very simply. It's still, maybe I'm just stupid. I don't know. Maybe that's the lesson I need to take from this. Um, but, yeah, The Martian, um, overall thoughts, really nice. Really enjoyed it. Um, very simple story, uh, great performance by Matt Damon. And again, I mean, I'm going to get onto this a little bit later, um, but a great performance, a layered performance. I was a little bit worried um, as it was going through that he was a little bit too chipper about being isolated, be, about being the only man on a planet. Um, maybe again, that's that's me and my fear of death thinking that, you know, if it was me, I would just... Um, shit myself, lie down on the floor in the fetal position and wait for death. Um, but, yeah, it just... I was like, oh, surely he would be affected in some way. But then at, at a certain point, I'm not going to say when, but at a certain point, it kind of hits him a little bit. Um, and it really... Um, yeah, it, it was really affecting. It was a really good um, performance by him. So, uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed that. Um, multi-layered. And again, it brought me to tears. It made me laugh. It made me cry. Um, there's some bits towards the end that, uh, again, when they're all taking the piss out of each other, just a, a wonderful, wonderful device. Um, so yeah, four things out of five, um, not perfect, um, but really enjoyable. And, uh, I would highly recommend seeking it out in some way, um, if you're able to, uh, and that's the Martian. Let's have a little break while I, uh, get some water. Cheers. And then film film the second um, the second one that I went to uh, went to see over the weekend. Um, so it was a good weekend, very very solid weekend. Um, was uh, Mad Max Fury Road, um, which is a film that I was seeing this for the second time. Uh, the wife was seeing it for the first time. She very much enjoyed it, but um, I'd seen it before um, on a plane actually when we were flying over to these here um, United States, uh, where I abide. Abide, is that the right word? Or I abode? No, that's a house. 
this is my abode, but I abide. I don't know, maybe. Where I reside. There I go. Um, I shouldn't drink in the afternoon. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I saw it on the, on the plane on the way over. And as anyone who has seen the film, or as anyone who has seen a trailer for the film, um, or any kind of promotion material for the film, uh, would know or be able to guess, it's not a film for a plane. Um, it's not a film, you know, to, to watch on a tiny little kind of three-inch screen or whatever. Um, it's a film that that uh, makes adequate use of uh, celluloid's broad canvas, shall we say? It's a it's a bloody spectacle film. Um, it's an action film, um, and it, it uses it, you know uses that license um, liberally. It's I don't know. It's it's an incredible film. It's an incredible film. As a as a geek, as a, a fan of comics, science fiction, fantasy, as a fan of of other worlds being created. Um, it's a film that has more imagination in it, I think, than than any film that I've seen in quite some time. And it's imagination that is, I don't know, it's it's in that way where because the the story of it is that it's post apocalyptic. It's um, it's after some kind of you know alluded to some kind of nuclear thing um, in the opening credits, this kind of news footage and and so forth. But it's never really explicitly said. Um, what has happened but the, the the upshot of that is that there's nothing really in the film that we don't have there's no ray guns there's no lasers um, it's all just very uh, and again one of the things that I liked about the um, the Martian is that whilst it is science fiction-y I guess would kind of some kind of fantasy like I say it's a, a different world things being created that don't really uh, exist it all seemed very it seems very plausible. Absolutely insane, as the title might suggest, but very, very plausible. All the all the kind of cars seem very real, all the, the, the people seem very real. And I guess the reason for that, and the, the thing that, that everybody's so um, uh, kind of going nuts about for this film uh, is that so much of it was done practically. There's very little... I mean, I say there's very little CG. Um, I can't imagine there's that many shots in the film that don't have at least an element of CG in them um, or kind of special effects in them. It's a very stylized film. But in terms of the action, in terms of the stunts, in terms of the the cars that are used and what the cars end up doing, um, the vast, vast majority of that is um, was all done practically. Um, and that's not necessarily... I. I I, I dislike the way that people are kind of kind of extolling the, the virtues of it in that insofar as it, I feel like a lot of people are saying well it does all its stunts practically therefore that's a good thing and I don't think that's necessarily the case um, I am a I, you know I think CG can absolutely enhance things um, it can allow you to do a lot of things sometimes you know things that you wouldn't be able to do full stop. Sometimes just things that you wouldn't be able to afford to do on the budget of the film. Um, I feel like something like that, where a lot of things are done practically, it adds a certain feel to the film. But ultimately, if it's that won't that won't make a good film. Um, and that's something that I feel like um, what's the name Inuritu um, is benefiting from a lot. Um, in terms of the work that he does, well, the last two films at least, um, being Birdman and The Revenant. So Birdman obviously gets released, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, it's amazing!" It kind of looks like one long shot. There's there's 
kind of no editing within scenes. It's all just looks like one big kind of track and shot. The whole film is absolutely amazing. Uh, and The Revenant is, oh my God, it's, it's, a, it's a, a kind of period film shot entirely outdoor, pretty much entirely outdoors. Um, but there was no um, uh, um, staged lighting. It was all practical. It was all um, just using natural light with fires uh, and, and the sun and the moon. Uh, it's amazing. I think whilst those are things to, to possibly admire a film for and think, you know, that's, that's an amazing achievement that you've managed to do that, that you've managed to make this film look like one big shot or you've managed to, yeah, kind of light film, uh, light scenes kind of practically outdoors. Um, it would have been very difficult and so well done for doing that. That doesn't necessarily make a good film. Uh, and whilst, I, you know, in The Revenant, I don't think that necessarily added anything. Um, I, I feel like had they used you know lights as most um you know films would do i don't feel like that would have necessarily hindered the film um i think one of the you know one of the i think i said it in the the podcast that i did about the revenant one of the things one of the joys of cinema and film is is that it's all pretend it's all make believe it's it's using skills that you have to make something that isn't real seem real um, and so just doing it all practically seems, I don't know, maybe a little bit of a cop-out, I don't know. Um, I mean, not a cop-out, that makes it seem bad, but it's, I don't know, it's it's not, it doesn't make a film good. It doesn't make it good. Um, and the same thing with, the, with Birdman, not only did that not necessarily add something, I don't think it necessarily did. I mean, there were certain parts of it that were really nice. I mean, because you, you can get... There are films that are made that, that have lots of long shots in them. And that, I think, is absolutely fine. Like, um, Spielberg um, is known for, for having, you know, kind of one or two really long shots in all of his films. And when I say long shots, it's like, you know, a few minutes each, which is unusual um, in, in cinema. Um, but to have a whole film you know, be one shot. I personally felt like it took it took away from it because you stopped watching the film and you started watching for kind of edit points of where they kind of, you know, swept around and it was all black for a part for, you know, a couple of frames and you're like, oh right, so they would have cut there. Um it kind of distracted from it. And it seemed it seems I mean it'll be interesting to see what film he does next, but certainly with the last two films that he's done, Inuritu seems to have um I don't know. He seems to be thinking, right? Well, what's what's? It seems gimmicky. I think. I think that's what annoys me. It seems gimmicky um, that they're trying to, you know, what, what's the next thing that I can do? Well, let's let's do a film where nobody says anything. It's all silent. Oh, let's see if we can do that. Um, and then, and that's all well and good. I think that possibly works better for a short film um, to make a short film more kind of memorable. But as a, as an entire feature, I think yeah, it's it's that's that's not a substitute for a good story or you know telling the story well. Um, and so yeah, whilst this the, the practical stunts are very very good, um, and it does lend a certain verisimilitude, if I can use such a word. Um, it's not it's not everything. It's not everything that doesn't make it a good a good story. The way that it's shot um, and the very very simplistic story that they have. Um, and the style, the tone that is set all the way through um, of just action, very kind of primal um, uh, stuff. It's, it's um, and you kind of hear it sometimes when people are talking about, you know, roles that they've done. Like actors are like, well, you know, he's, he's not a guy who's kind of defined by what he says, but he's, he's a very action-based character. And Mad Max is very much like that. He, he hardly has any lines. He does have lines. So again, it doesn't 
become gimmicky, like uh, who'd be a good example of that? Um, Batista in um, Spectre, when he was the big bad guy with the with the shiny thumbnails, um, and he doesn't say a word. And he always says one word. He says, oh, shit, at the end when he gets killed. But he, like, again, that becomes gimmicky. That's like a, you know, oh, and that's his whole thing that he did. Whereas there are some points where it's like, well, you would, he would say something. You should just say something there. Um, whereas this, he says very little. When he needs to speak, he will speak. When he doesn't need to speak, he won't speak. And I think that makes it that makes for a good character. But one of my favourite things about this, about the film, is that whilst it's called Mad Max Fury Road, and obviously he's involved with, with a lot of it, it's not his story. It's Charlize Theron's story. It's, it's Furiosa, uh, Imperator Furiosa's story. Um, all the way through. And, and Mad Max just kind of stumbles in on it. Um, which I think is a, such a great um, way of doing things. Because it means that it means that the guy that you're kind of following through is, you know, he gets to, to keep his character very, very simple, um, and you know, the, you kind of learn the story as he learns the story. It's a very good, um, yeah, technique in terms of divulging information. It, it divulges it very, very slowly in this film. Um, you get the very basics very, very quickly, um, but then as it progresses, you learn the kind of slight more detail. Um, to the story but the vast majority of it is um, yeah done very very simply uh, and I think that's that's what I love about the film because ultimately without wanting to spoil things too much it's uh, in an entire film that focuses on a journey from one place to another place and then from that second place back to the first place that's all it is but it's done in such a way that really keeps your attention really keeps your um, imagination fired up like there's so many so many bits that aren't really explained very much um, and they just look amazing and it doesn't need like I think I'm very guilty of that in terms of you know in terms of sometimes the stories that I write or the, the scripts that I write uh, it's something that my wife says to me quite a lot like I, I like to get bogged down too much um, in in the why of things, in like explaining things and creating these worlds, when the reality of it is, is that the only information that you need to impart to the audience is the information that they need to follow the story and to enjoy the story. Um, and anything more than that, you can if you want to, but it's, you know, if these, like there's an amazing shot where they're driving through and it's dark or it's getting towards nighttime um, and they're driving through this muddy part and there's just these people on like stilts, like all fours, but all fours have stilts and they have these kind of rags over them. And it's just one shot and never explained. Absolutely never explained. Um, and it's amazing. You just think, well, Jesus, it just gives this impression of such a rich kind of full world um, that it's, yeah, just very, 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 very enjoyable to, to watch. Um, it's... Uh, yeah, and and again, like that shot, there are other shots as well where it's it's really a really good looking film um, as well. Obviously, it's very stylized, and they, as I say, I, I can't imagine there's that many shots in the film that they haven't, you know, really kind of color corrected a lot or really kind of boosted this or, or, or that in the shot. But um, yeah, a, a lot of the shots are really really um, interesting and really you know beautiful in you know in the midst of all this kind of carnage and. Um, Mayhem, and it was interesting again reading the the trivia that the director George Miller. Um, I mean, a he did he didn't start the film with a script. Um, the storyboard came before the script again, which really 
kind of speaks to how how visually he he wanted to tell the story and, uh, and making sure that that you know that it looked like an amazing film before, and again how simple that story is it just allows you to get on board with it very very quickly these are the good guys these are the bad guys um let's get on with it um but also he instructed the cinematographer um to make sure that the character is always in the center of the frame um obviously understanding that there are going to be a lot of sections in this mayhem and everything's going crazy and you know you never know what's what to look at but by keeping the character right in the center of frame at all times it means that you don't have to waste time looking around the frame which seems ridiculous but when you've got such fast cuts as as you do in this film it really yeah makes it very very easy to to follow um and you know sometimes you have action films where it's you know just a lot of whiz bang and a lot of explosions and and you don't really know what's going on at all whereas this um becomes a film that where it's it's all you know it's very logical even though it's absolutely mental it's very very logical with what's going on and very very easy to uh very very easy to follow um and speaking of the bad guys Holy shit, I love the bad guy in this so much. It's, again, a very, very visual thing, but he looks terrifying, which is crazy because as they show in the very first shot of him, he's just he's a very old, overweight, ill man. And yet just the eye makeup and the, the face thing and the, the white hair, just, oof, terrifying. And the voice, which was interesting, actually. I, I, I think the, his voice, I don't know how the mixing worked out, but when I saw it on the plane... Um, obviously listening to it on headphones very very clear with what he was saying and like really loud but uh, and really kind of stylized but very very clear what he was saying but it was a couple of moments in watching it on the big screen that um that got lost a little bit for me it was a little less a uh, little less clear i don't know whether that's the difference between watching something with headphones on or without but um yeah yeah but I, uh, an amazing uh, amazing film i mean this is a five on five for me um, five things out of five because it's just just carries you along. Although it was almost spoiled, I don't mind telling you this: it was almost spoiled um, by a young woman at the, at the beginning uh, of the film. Kind of well, the the first kind of big car chase with lots of stuff going on um, ends up in a big kind of sandstorm thing which has this amazing shot and it just zooms out further and further and further and every time you think it's going to stop and it's you know gone out as far as it can it's going further and further and further until there's just this tiny line of cars um, on the horizon and this huge like continent-sized um, dust cloud in front of them absolutely gorgeous and they go into it and blah 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 and then they crash and and then it all kind of finishes and there's just this moment of black and silence and it is, you know, because there's, again, huge amounts of fire and noise and, you know, anger and all of this kind of stuff going on beforehand when they're in the cloud. And then when they, you know, when it all stops, it's all a bit like, whew, okay, let's let's take a moment now. Let's, let's um, refocus. But as soon as it went to black, and I mean as soon as it went to black, like she had planned it, she knew what she was going to do, and it was clearly for effect. As soon as it went to black, some piece of shit right down at the front just went holy shit and oh my god hate like hate it hate it it's one of my biggest bugbears when people are in the cinema and they do anything that i notice Do you know what i mean because it's like it's not about you 
buddy. You're, you're, you are entering into a shared communal group experience where there are other people who just want to watch the screen and just enjoy it as, as you know, as, as one of a mass. And so to, to anything like checking your phone or saying something or eating too loudly, it just winds me up so much. It's ridiculous. And I wanted to absolutely punch this girl clean in the face. But the most annoying thing about it all, the most annoying thing is that she went, holy shit. And then loads of people laughed. And I was just, oh my God. So much so that my tut completely got lost in the uh, lost in the maelstrom. I felt like standing up and just telling her to go fuck herself because it just, no, no need for it. No need for it. And fie and shame to anybody who laughed at that and gave her validation. She would have gone home that day written in her diary. I had a diary. I'm so funny. I said, hell of shit. And Mad Max Fury Road. And everybody laughs because I'm such a comedian. They're fucking funny. No, absolutely not. Um, she's going around with that, that false confidence, that unearned confidence. And if there's one thing I think we can all agree that there is too much of in this world, it is false confidence. But yeah, Mad Max is is good film. Five on five. Go and see it. So that's uh, that's my thoughts on a couple of the uh, um, Oscar nominated films. Um, I've done I've done better this year, I think, than I have done most years in terms of um, watching the Oscar films. Um, I mean, I'll always be more drawn to a you know something big and stupid than a. a um, a kind of a worthy kind of awards, yeah, that's actually really good um, kind of film. But I've done all right. Um, I've done all right with these ones. Uh, in no small part, thanks to um, uh, a couple of cinemas who have been showing slightly more outre um, films. I say outre, I mean, obviously, if, if they're uh, Oscar nominated, they're not exactly, uh, you know, French avant garde. But um, so, I've seen, in, I mean, let's go. All right, let's just go through the whole thing. Fuck it. Let's go through the whole thing. Um, so this is on uh, from oscars.go.com oscars.go why does it go anyway um, so we've got best picture um, Big Short Bridge of, Bridge of Spies Brooklyn Fury Road Martian Revenant Room Spotlight now haven't seen Room haven't seen Brooklyn haven't seen Bridge of Spies so I've seen over half of them which I'm going to take as a, a you know a, a positive there I think that's pretty good um, for me what would I give this to? Um, I'd probably give it to Mad Max, to be honest, of those. Um, really, really enjoyable. And uh, but it's, I mean, it's obviously not going to... This is not... It makes no sense necessarily for me to do this because we all know what's going to win, I think. I mean, in terms of best picture, I'm pretty sure it will go to... What will it go to, actually? I don't know, I think it'll go to The Revenant. I think that will, it's it's very like, oh my God, did you know that they filmed it? Yeah, awesome, cool, nice. Um, but yeah, I'd go Mad Max uh, for Best Picture, Actor in a Leading Role, Cranston for Trumbo, Damon for Martian, DiCaprio for Revenant, Fassbender for Jobs, and Redmayne for Girl. Haven't seen Danish Girl, haven't seen Steve Jobs, although I'd really like to, haven't seen Trumbo, so I can only go between Damon and DiCaprio. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, DiCaprio his role in that was just be angry and in pain um, for two hours and Damon's 
role was, you know, be happy and then be sad and then be determined and then be beaten down. And, and he did a lot better. I, Damon made me cry. DiCaprio made me bored. Matt Damon, best actor in a leading role. And I think he deserves it because he doesn't really make bad films, Matt Damon. Um, aside from Monuments Men, which I heard was toss. Um, actress in a leading role. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen any of these. Ah, shit. I'm going to see Carol tomorrow um, with Kate Blanchett or Blanchett. Blanchett. I don't know. Blanchett makes it just sound a bit wanky. Like it's, you know, Kenya, Blanchett. Uh, Brie Larson, Room, Jennifer Lawrence, Joy, Charlotte Rampling, 45 years. Saoirse Ronan, Brooklyn. Um, I'll go Saoirse Ronan. I haven't seen any of the films, but I liked her in um, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. I've liked her in a couple of interviews that I've seen of her. Job done. Go for it. Have fun. Although Brie Larson was very good in Short Term 12. I mean, again, it doesn't really matter. Brie Larson's going to win it, but... um, yeah, I'd go Sasha Ronan for no real reason. Uh, actor in a supporting role. Uh, I've seen three of these. So I haven't seen Creed. Yeah, you know, Sylvester Sloan. You know, just, you know, get beaten up and embarrassed. That's my Sylvester Stallone impression. Uh, Mark Rylance, Bridge of Spies. Haven't seen that. Have seen Spotlight. But I thought Mark Ruffalo was a bit too much, actually. I thought he was the weak link in Spotlight, which shows what I know, because he's been nominated for an as- uh, for an Oscar, for an actor Oscar. Um, so it's between ha- Tom Hardy and The Revenant and Christian Bale and The Big Short. Um, I really like Tom Hardy and The Revenant, but I think I'm going to go with Christian Bale um, for me. Um, I mean, he, he had the benefit, I think, of a weird character. His guy was, like, socially awkward, which I think gives an actor a little bit more room to have some fun rather than Tom Hardy. But I did, yeah, not to take anything away from Tom Hardy. I thought he was, uh, you know, by far the best thing in that film. Um, so yeah, mad props. I believe the kids are saying on the streets are mad props, mad props, Tom, mad props from me. Uh, actress in a supporting role, uh, hateful eight, Carol spotlight, Danish girl jobs. So I've seen two of these. Um, and whilst I did really like Rachel McAdams's um, performance in it in Spotlight because it was very subdued, very kind of straight down the line, wasn't a showy performance in the way that I feel like Mark Ruffalo was trying to make his quite a showy performance. Um, it's very much a, an ensemble performance from Rachel McAdams, which I do appreciate. Um, but I'm gonna go Hateful Eight, Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee. Um, she, I mean, it's funny, um, kind of crazy. Again, a fun role, a good role. Um, it's one of the uh, things when Alan Rickman died that um, uh, one of the clips that was kind of flying around was of him receiving a, a, a Emmy or something for uh, Rasputin um, and he said that you know obviously in large part you know, his his performance goes down to the character that was created by the writer and the director and you know there should be a uh, a category for best performance in a rubbish role um, which is you know a, a very good point and I kind of feel like yeah um Daisy Domague in The Hateful Eight. That's a, that's a good part. That's a fun part to play. Something that she can um, get her teeth into. So, and I thought thought she did really well. So Jennifer Jason Lee, actress in a supporting role. Uh, animated feature film. I've only seen one of them. But I feel like I only need to see one of them. Inside Out. Great film. Effortless Pixar. Um, Pixar kind of getting back to form after a couple of uh, slightly ropey um, sequels. Um, so Inside Out, really, really enjoyable, and yeah, hope that wins. Cinematography: Carol, Hateful Eight, Mad Max, Revenant, Sicario. Um, I'd probably go Revenant just because, you know, I, I kind of feel bad for 
shitting on it from such a height um, as I am when everyone else loves it so much. Um, and I did think the cinematography was really good. Some of the shots in that were absolutely gorgeous. The bit um, towards the end where they... Um, where the group runs into DiCaprio again and it's all at night and they're, they've all got torches so you see all the fire but it's quite far back and there's all these trees in the way absolutely gorgeous um, so yeah I'll go with that and obviously that you know I, I kind of feel like this this is where the kind of the creative challenges that they had come to the fore because that's you know the cinematographer didn't choose to shoot it all you know in natural light that was something that his mad bastard director said yeah okay kind of want to try this and he was like oh fuck's sake um, and so he had to deal with it and dealt with it pretty well. Um, so yeah, I'll go Revenant for cinematography. Costume design, I've got to go Fury Road, got to go Mad Max. Um, I feel like any any costume design Oscar, when there is any kind of science fiction or, or fantasy film in there, I don't, I, like, who cares about, like, the Danish girls in it, Carol's in it. Who cares? Oh, made some lovely dresses. I, doesn't matter though, does it? Because you have you haven't in terms of design, go for something that's never existed with with fashions and styles that have never existed. That's more impressive. That's more fun. That's more exciting. Um, so Mad Max Fury Road for costume design. Because um, you had that cool. I think the jackets in the first three as well. Um, excuse me, Mel Gibson ones, um, which I've never seen. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a damn cool jacket um directing big short mad max revenant room spotlight um directing i i've got to go mad max again and i know it's this is even like i'm just kind of sucking its dick and i am a little bit i suppose because i did really like it but um i just feel like something like that and you consider the, the what george miller brought to it and again it, it's kind of informed by doing some kind of behind the scenes reading about it um and in terms of how they made it and what the process was but i just feel like something like that he his fingertips are everywhere in that film nothing happened in that film you know that that was anything other than how he wanted it and it's such a bold vision such a complete vision um that it's going to be really annoying when he obviously doesn't win it and inuritu um wins it but yeah i absolutely think he he deserves it um george miller because um, it's an amazing, amazing film. Amazing achievement, I think, as much as anything. Documentary feature, um, haven't seen any of them. Um, so I'm going to go with Winter on Fire, colon, Ukraine's fight for freedom, because um, it's not going to win. Um, and I think, you know, you've got to stick up for the, for the little people, um, even if they're from Ukraine. Documentary short subject, nobody really cares. Um, film editing, have to go big short. Um, again, you know, some kind of... Um, I feel like some respect has to be given to um, the Mad Max editor, just because, just in the same way as like you, you respect the person who edited Moulin Rouge, because you know the the shots are lasting on average like a second and a half or something. There's just so much stuff. Like the um, I was reading in the trivia that um, there was like th th like three thousand five hundred feet of film to look through or something or 3,000 hours of footage or something absurd that took three months um, to watch all the footage that they shot for Fury Road. Um, that's bullshit. That's absolutely ridiculous. You kind of 
feel sorry for her um, as much as anything. But yeah, I feel like the big short, the way that they that they did that, the way that they approached making a film about some fairly dry economic um, theory or whatever, a lot of it's about some kind of hard economics that the vast majority of people wouldn't really understand that much, uh, myself absolutely included in that. Um, they did it really, really well, and they did it by trying different things and editing it in, in uh, an interesting way and in an unusual way, which I think it needed, but I, th- I think was, um, yeah, fantastic. So, yeah, big short for film editing. Foreign language film, again, nobody really cares. Makeup and hairstyling, um, Mad Max. Mad Max, of course. Um, music, original score. Now, I'm annoyed on here... Um, that and this is something that I'm annoyed that didn't get more love. Um, full stop. Possibly my favourite film of last year. I think probably my favourite film of last year. Uh, it was a film called Ex Machina, um, with uh, Donald Gleeson and Oscar Isaac and Alicia Vikander. Um, which if you haven't seen it, you absolutely should because it's amazing. Um, really, really exciting. Really interesting. Really clever. Um, and that's hardly been nominated for anything, which is a big, big shame. Um, and it's got an amazing, amazing score. I'm going to play a little bit of it. And, I, um, you know, nobody listens to this anyway, so it doesn't really matter about copyright or anything. Um, but where are we? Where are we? It's just, it's just this last song. Just this last song. Where are we? Where are we? Oh, just listen to this. Christ. Now I am I am biased. I am biased because that's kind of electronic music, and as you all know from the um, th- the, the whatever intro to uh, to these podcasts, um, I'm a big fan of electronic music. Um, it makes me sexually excited. I'm sitting here with half a chub just from bloody thirty seconds of that, um, but that's amazing, isn't it? Doesn't that just there's just you you just oh there's something going on with that music that you you just not really trusting it. Oh, amazing. So that should win original score. That's not up there. So I've got to go Star Wars because you know that should be should win every Oscar that it's nominated for. I think music original song. This I don't have any dog in the fight, um, but I hopefully. It's either Manta Ray from Racing Extinction, Simple Song Number 3 from Youth, or Till It Happens to You from The Hunting Ground. The reason that I want one of those three to win is because I don't want anything to win from Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, that that might be in any way an Oscar-winning film um, is saddening. Uh, I think it would be a real shame for, for the industry. Um, and, of course, the writing's on the wall from Spectre, Sam Smith's sappy, wet, pointless, awful excuse for a Bond theme, um, which cannot win either it cannot win please don't let it win i think it won the fucking um golden globe which is just terrifying um so yeah fingers crossed that that doesn't win that will that will bum me out on sunday if that wins uh production design 
I mean, it's got to be Mad Max, hasn't it? Again, it's it's it has that unfair advantage of being, you know, having to create an entirely different world. Um, but it did it very, very well. And maybe The Martian. I don't know, but I just feel like not 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 as much imagination would have had to go into that. And Fury Road, such a such an immersive world. Yeah, I can't go Mad Max. Got to go Mad Max for that. Short film animated, no one cares. Short film live action, again, no one cares. Which is a shame because I'm a big fan of um, short films. But it's, come on. Um, sound editing, Oof, Lord. Um, again, I'll I'll go Star Wars um, because you know, Star Wars. Sound mixing, let's go Star Wars. Visual effects, Ex Machina's on there. Boom, Ex Machina. That is absolutely getting there because the, I mean, the story of Ex Machina, if you don't know, is that Oscar Isaac creates a robot played by Alicia Vikander, um, and Donald Gleason has to go in and and test if he can work out whether she's a you know a robot or not whether she's a, a true ai because of the the bearing test the bearing test or something um and yeah in you know obviously i'm want it to win because i love the film but the uh, the visual effects are amazing and it. it's really um yeah one of those kind of fo- real photo realistic kind of um depictions it's uh yeah uncannily good and you see the um kind of behind the scenes things it's one of those incredible ones where they're making it all up and it's just she's just wearing green sleeves and then in the actual film her arm is like perspex and it's got all these working parts inside just every time it moves is absolutely it's that kind of fourth dimensional visual effects thing that i just, i can't get my head around in any way shape or form it's like things like that and then when people compose things for entire orchestras and they know exactly what each individual instrument should be playing at each individual time i go cross-eyed every time i think of it um writing why is that last oh shit this will be yeah it's alphabetical of course it is um so writing adapted screenplay big short brooklyn carol the martian room um i'd probably go big short again um again because it you know i feel like the Martian, a lot of the pieces were probably there um, already. Uh, it wasn't anything that was uh, particularly, you know, they had to do too much to. It was just a case of chopping and changing, whereas the big short, the, you know, I feel like the screenplay would have contained elements from the um, whatever book uh, it was, or article um, it was adapted from. But, yeah, the, the changes that they would have had to make to, to that would have... Um, yeah, been a lot trickier and a lot more, therefore, impressive, uh, I think. So I'm going to go big short uh, for best adapted screenplay. Best original screenplay. So we've got Inside Out there, which is great. Spotlight, which is great. But X Machina's there, so X Machina's got to get the uh, got to get the nod. So those are my I know, picks. Again, then, you know, it, it's not going to be worth anything, really. Because um, we all know DiCaprio's winning best actor. Larson's winning best actress. Um... I think Bale might win Best Actor in Who won it for the Golden Globes? It might have been, I think it might have been Ruffalo. Might, was it Ruffalo? I don't know. I could just look it up. I can't be asked. Um, and Best Actress in a Supporting Role. Who was that? I think that was Winslet, wasn't it? I think she won for that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all fairly... Um, uh, fairly, you know, kind of already preset but um i'm looking forward to it um hopefully it's gonna uh, turn out well what time are we at 54 minutes i'll do a quick gold silver bronze and then we'll uh, we'll call it a day so um yeah without further ado let's get that amazing um gold silver bronze um theme that you have been desperate desperate to hear um for some time now
hit it. Gold, silver, bronze. Right, so this uh, episode of Gold, Silver, Bronze um, is all about Oscar hosts. And we're going to have the Gold, Silver, Bronze of Oscar hosts. It's going to be uh, Chris Rock hosting it on Sunday, um, which I, I think the Academy are very pleased now that they have uh, that they picked him a long time ago before all this uh, Diversify the Oscars uh, stuff came out. They're like, look, we picked him. He's, he's, he's black. He's black. Look, look, he's Chris Rock. Um but yeah, that, that made me think, well, what, who, were the, who were some of the best ones? Now, bear in mind, I haven't watched any of the Oscars um, uh, so far. This will be the first one that I'm able to watch live. Um, because I, I kind of feel like in the UK, the first you hear about it is when you wake up the next morning in the metro. And it's like, oh, these are the people who won. Um, and at that point, you kind of think, well, I can't be asked to watch it all now because I know who's going to win. Um, so it's either live or nothing. And obviously, I can't be asked to, to stay up till three in the morning. Um so this will, yeah, this will be the first time I'll be able to watch the the whole thing. So all I'm going on here is um, opening monologues, pretty much. Uh, opening monologues is all I can go on, um, and there've been quite a few. And I, I do enjoy watching them. Uh, I do enjoy watching them on on uh, YouTube. So that's something that I've uh, watched for some time. So I'm bringing this, a certain amount of knowledge into it. Um, honorable mentions um, for me. Um, number one is John Stewart. He was he was pretty funny. Um, made some nice jokes at the expense of uh, some people. Uh, which is good, uh, but just a little bit awkward, maybe a um, little bit uncomfortable, as you, you know, as you would be um, in front of 22 million people or however many people it is. Um, so yeah, John Stewart, um, Billy Crystal, I guess, has to have a nod because he's hosted it about 15 times, um, and Steve Martin as well. Both of them fairly safe um, uh, deliveries, but um, yeah, pretty good nonetheless. Um, Steve Martin's done some uh, some wonderful jokes, <laughs> wonderful jokes over the years. I, he's hosted it a few times as well. Um, so yeah, my bronze, my bronze for uh, Oscar hosts um, is Chris Rock uh, when he did it in two thousand and five. Makes me quite excited for um, what he's going to be talking about on in uh, on s- Sunday. Um, it was great because he he had the microphone. That's the good thing about hosting a stand, um, getting a stand up to host it. Um, is uh, yeah, he's essentially just doing stand-up. He was there holding the microphone, just doing a bit of stand-up. He did a bit about George Bush um, and saying that he's... Because it was during his, you know, um, you know, running for re-election. Uh, and he was saying, it's, you know, he's doing an amazing thing. He's um, got balls, you know, the size of whatever. Because, you know, from when he became president to now, to that point, um, the country is now $70 billion in debt or something. And he was still uh, still running for president. And he likened it to if uh, he worked for the Gap, and uh, at the end of the day, his uh, cash register was seventy trillion dollars or whatever um, under. Uh, I thought it was pretty funny, um, so that's why he gets the bronze, silver. Um, Ellen DeGeneres, uh, when she hosted in um, two thousand and ten, I think it was or twelve. I don't know, um, but the one where she did the selfie um, with everybody, um, she. She, she's she's clever because she, she's always taking the mick out of people, which I think is possibly the most important thing um, for a, an Oscars host is to take the mick out of people because ultimately you can't forget, you can't... And it's one of the things that made Amy Poehler and Tina Fey and Ricky Gervais so good at hosting the, Go- hosting the Golden Globes is that they never forgot that this is a room full of very, very privileged people 
Um, and these are people that should be able to take a joke about themselves because this is, you know, an evening where we take people who earn millions of dollars for each film that they make and celebrate them um, and give them golden statues. It's a little bit self-aggrandizing, so you need to try and cut through some of that pomp and ceremony. Um, and I feel like Ellen did it very well in that she was taking the mick, but she she's just got such a kind of affable personality and delivery and the fact that she's, you know, she's Ellen, she hosts the, you know, a daytime show and it's all very kind of um, vanilla. Um, that She gets away with it. And I thought she'd do really well. Um, but the gold, for me, um, the gold medal uh, of Oscar hosts uh, is Mr. Hugh Jackman. Um, I, I don't know necessarily how he did um, for the rest of the show. And again, I mean, I would say that it's very important to take the mick out of people. I don't really remember that much. Uh, about him taking the mick out of people because he's so nice, nicest man in Hollywood. But then he did that song, he did that song, and I can't, I can't go against him um, when he starts singing. Um, uh, really funny, really inventive, and that bit at the end. If you haven't watched it, absolutely watch Hugh Jackman's opening number um, in the uh, yeah for the Oscars. It's it's brilliant. I've watched it several, several times um, over the years. I think it was back in 2009 or something. So it's been six years and I've, I must have watched it at least six times because um, I love it so much. At the end, his last line, um, he doesn't mention it at all, but then his last line in the entire song, the big crescendo, is I'm Wolverine. And he does it when standing on the top of a turnbuckle, like from the wrestling, it's the year of the wrestler. Um, the joke's about the reader in there, really funny. Um, yeah, absolutely fantastic. I, I burst out laughing when he started singing on Wolverine. Um, and that can't be, um, you know, can't be ignored. Cannot be ignored. So Hugh Jackman, well done. I'm sure he's um, crying with gratitude um, at the moment for giving, being given this um, highly prestigious honour. Um, so yeah, that's my gold, silver, bronze. Uh, bronze would be Chris Rock, silver, Ellen DeGeneres. Um, and uh, gold, Hugh Jackman, um, best Oscar host of all time. Worst, of course, um, James Franco and uh, Anna Hathaway, um, with the emphasis firmly on James Franco, who was a dick in that little bit. Um, as, uh, as Bill Hader um, said in his roast uh, of James Franco, um, hosting the Oscars with Anne Hathaway, he did the impossible. He made me feel sorry for Anne Hathaway. Oh, dear. Very funny. Gold, silver, bronze! So there we go. That's uh, another uh, Dan cast in the books. Um, thank you so much for, for uh, listening um, to this point. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you didn't, let me know. If you did, let me know. Uh, if you're watching the Oscars, enjoy it. Um, develop some kind of drinking game. I'm sh- sure it will make it all go uh, a lot quicker. Um, Watch the Golden Globes. That was a little bit disappointing. Watch the Grammys. Um, that was terrible. Didn't know who any of the people were. I felt incredibly old and out of touch. Um, Watch the SAG Awards where it's, it's like the Oscars, but just no, nothing other than actors. And it's just the most, you'd think every actor was fucking a freedom fighter. It's incredible how how self-aggrandizing it is. It's kind of disgusting, um, really. But hopefully the Oscars will be better than that. Um, yeah, uh, I hope you yeah enjoyed listening. Um, uh, come back again, I'll be uh, posting another one um, relatively soon, I would have thought. Um, But yeah, until next time, um, be kind to people um, because that's the right way to be. Cheers.